We love the power and grace of athletes, artists, CEOs, and high achievers with their zest and grit. But have you ever wondered how they cut through all the distractions, harness their energy, and get them to flow to achieve their goals? And what do they do with the money that comes their way? I'm Darren Wright, author of Peak Financial Fitness. Join me on a fascinating journey to gain a peek into the intersection of high-performing people and everyday financial life. There will be highs and lows and inspiring stories for you to achieve your goals. Welcome to Finding Financial Flow. I'm Darren Wright. Thank you guys for tuning in. I've got my friend Mike Russo and his partner Nathan Siles on today. You're going to find this very fascinating. Uh, Mike and I have been friends. We met on Camelback Mountain. Coincidentally, we both went to Arizona State. Go Devils. And um, Mike started a company called Blue Free Living. It's focused on the biophysics of light. And his partner, Nathan Siles, is a biophysics and bioenergetics uh, expert. And he is a self-proclaimed mitochondriac. We'll, he'll talk about that in a second. And a three-time cancer survivor. So well done there. Um, so with that, welcome, Mike and Nathan. Thank you guys for coming. And uh, I'll let you guys talk a little bit about uh, each, of, each of your backgrounds, if you would. Go ahead, Nate, take it away. Hey guys, hey Darren, um, such a pleasure to be here. And just just to correct the record, two-time cancer survivor. Hopefully that third one never comes. Uh, yeah, sorry, thank you. <laughs> no, yes. the, the way I live, don't worry, it, I'm not worried at all. Um, so yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an amazing journey um, to bring in, bring ourselves. I mean, Mike and I, um, how we sort of came to be together, working together, and um, with a common sort of life and work of financial freedom objective as well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting path, which I'll get into and I'll, I'll give you a little bit more details into my background. Um, I guess, you know, the summary of, of the whole thing is, um, when I was nine months old, I was diagnosed with my first cancer. It was an ocular cancer called retinoblastoma. It's quite rare, um, quite severe back in 91 when I was born. Um, and, uh, it's, it was treated with radiotherapy, radiation therapy. So, um, now it's treated with, uh, cryotherapy and thermotherapy and laser therapy and, you know, more effective and less harmful long-term. So, um, you know, we live and we learn as technology evolves. Um, and like I said, cryotherapy and thermotherapy are temperature and light therapies. So um, hence my initial interest as a, a young child with light and temperature in healing. Um, as, I, as I graduated um, uh, commerce at Melbourne University, um, I went into investment banking for three to five years and then was diagnosed my second cancer um, which was a testicular cancer. So um, the challenge with that one was, you know, it's like a kick in the balls. You really reflect on every aspect of life and you wonder as a young man, someone that's, you know, an athlete and seemingly in your own mind, invincible, how that could happen. Um, and so, you know, that's where I started my journey post the surgery and the chemotherapy um, to change my mindset, my beliefs, and really question absolutely everything about what I knew about health, what I knew about diet and exercise, nutrition, um, and to actually get to a point where I, uh, I spent the last eight years intensely studying biophysics, bioenergetics, mitochondrial medicine from some of the world experts, uh, including neurosurgeons um, around the world. So uh, chasing that, that dream and getting myself better as I as I uh, accumulated the knowledge and assimilated it and embodied it. Um, and now I, uh, I met Mike along my health journey and um, excited to share and, uh, you know, touch more people with this message. 
Yeah, thank you. Well done. Well done, especially on on kicking cancer's ass. So keep up the fight. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I was, you know, interesting. Interestingly enough, I was in New York um, working after graduate school and was racing tri triathlons competitively. Um, and I bumped into a biochemist um, at a bike opening in New York City. And I was all excited because I was doing well with triathlon. And they said, well, you really should meet this guy. He works with the best cyclists in the country. can really elevate what you're doing. And I went in and sat down and he did a bunch of tests um, that most doctors wouldn't generally do. I was all excited. I went back three weeks later, sat down and he said, well, the good news is we can fix everything. The bad news is you're a train wreck. And I said to him, well, doc, that's a little strange since I'm running five minute miles and I feel like I could chew through wood. And he said, well, and so we went over all the different markers that he tested for. And I walked out of the office. It was really interesting. We became great friends. It's probably 19 years later now. And what I realized is I didn't understand anything about how the body works, gave me a couple of books and started my journey. And, you know, six or seven years later, bumped into a, a neurosurgeon who was um, teaching about how light uh, affects your, your biochemical reactions and continued on that journey and met a lot of people in the quantum biology field along the way, including Nate. And it, it's been an amazing journey because I've met some terrific people who really understand how uh, light and our environment over the last 20 or 30 years has changed and evolved so much to impact, significantly impact um, our health and how it affects our health. So um, I bumped into some folks about four or five years ago in Mexico, ended up spending on and off a couple of months down there with a bunch of people from all around the world, developed some great relationships, all like-minded, trying to figure out what's the best way to change the paradigm in the healthcare world today. And the last three or four years have been terrific and slowly but surely putting together some ideas, concepts to bring to the population, if you will. And since then, we've made some great relationships with some high profile uh, doctors, uh, neuroscientists in the athletic world. And we're really starting to put some of these protocols together to um, show some really good data on healing the eye, the brain, um, and overall health in general. Well, when we were talking, just going up Camelback Mountain, doing our hike, obviously it's, we were, what you said caught my attention and it feeds in well, um, the biophysics of light, how you were talking about how to live optimally, make better decisions, and which is what we're trying to help people with, make better decisions, make better financial decisions, move more into their financial flow and have a better life. And there's there's things you know, there's things you don't know, there's things you know you don't know, and then there's things you don't even know you don't know. And some of what you guys have already taught me, Mike, and what I think what people are going to learn today are some of those things, some of the things, you know, you don't even know you don't know. You know, my wife is great listening to David Sinclair and Andrew Huberman and, and a whole host of others. And she's been talking, she's been trying to block out the blue light for for years and talking to me about it. And so I knew about it, but I didn't know the, the extent of the damage that it has done on all of us and certainly our kids and the impact of all that. So uh, really excited to to talk more about this today. 
Um, what would you say is the the work that you're doing? You touched on this, but what's behind that? What's the real passion and mission of what you guys are doing with your work right now? Yeah, I mean the 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 our passion is is really to change, figure out how to change the paradigm a little bit for people to understand plugging into nature, understanding light and how, how natural light affects your overall health, right? Your eye, your brain. Um, and, and obviously the healthier you are, the healthier your brain is right. The better decisions you're going to make, whether it be simple things like sleep, um, your neurotransmitters, right. How your dopamine is, um, how you feel emotionally, right? Anxiety, depression, all the things that we're seeing today um, from people being indoors, we, right? You got to take a step back once again, how we change the paradigm to pe for people to understand when we were kids, we were outside all day. We got the full rainbow all day long. We came inside, we went to bed. And when we were inside, we were looking at an incandescent bulb, which is basically a fire giving us infrared, red and infrared light, right? Um, so the passion is is to get people to understand the simplicity in what we're trying to tell them. It gets very, very technical when you can talk about what happens when light hits the eye, which we can talk about and get very technical to explain to them when they look at blue light at night, what happens when light hits the eye, what signals it sends to the brains, what that does to your hormones, what that does for when you sleep, what that does to your blood sugar, all the cascading effects, we can get into the details of what that means to them from a health perspective. We're trying to get people to understand how simple it is to put your feet in the grass, to step outside and to see the benefits of literally plugging back into nature, right? That's the passion um, we understand it's going to be difficult to do how we do that and how we go about it, right? Like anything in any business is really the challenge to figure out how to get people to understand that. The wonderful thing, which is kind of ironic, is that for us right now, technology, which is something we're going to tell people to use as little as possible, especially at night. And if they're, if you're going to use it, we're going to tell you the best way to use it, whether it's with lenses when you're looking at a screen, whether it's hardwiring in instead of holding 5G at night or holding it all day long. The ironic thing is that using an aura ring, right, is great for us because we can demonstrate, that's right, we can demonstrate within three or four weeks how to move your sleep score five and 10X by simply covering your eyes and having unbelievable light hygiene in a very short amount of time. And we're doing that every day. And I've been doing it with my friends. We've been doing it with different partners in the sleep area for over the last couple of years. And so we know with certainty that if we um, tighten our circadian rhythm or our light hygiene, if you will, especially at night and first thing in the morning, we're gonna move those numbers, not only on your sleep score significantly, but we're gonna heal your hormones quickly and you're gonna start to feel better, eat less and start to make good choices and get control of your mind in a very short amount of time. And that's the nice thing, once again, Technology is great for certain things. Um, in this case, we can use an aura ring with, you know, using infrared to collect information where we don't have to use the whoop where you're going to have to have Wi-Fi on your wrist all day long. 
So we're going to not only help you figure out and be passionate about natural light, what that will do for you, how we can heal you, use those measurables, but also teach you how to be able to live in a digital world and do that in a way that mitigates using, you know, AirPods instead of sticking pods in here that are actually um, giving off horrible non-native frequencies, you know, ear to ear through your brain, right? Um, so that, I mean, I touched on a lot of stuff there, but we're passionate about that. And then, you know, if you bring it to a higher level, we, as we were talking about earlier, what we want to do is explain. And the passion for me is obviously we're going to teach people how to get healthy. We're going to teach people how to live optimally, hopefully help make better decisions. But if we really care about society, as we were talking about before we, you know, started the podcast, you know, figuring out how to help change the paradigm in healthcare is going to be very, very difficult, right? Healthcare is ridiculously expensive for the individual and for the country, right? And as we start to um, socialize it, if you will, in the sense, whether whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, and we're paying um, these expenses for a lot of people across the country, it becomes very, very difficult. And I like to use something that I think everybody is aware of, uh, diabetes. Diabetes is a... Um, an illness that's been around for a long time, but has exploded over the last 20 years. And you have 35, about 35 million folks that are diabetic. It costs the country somewhere between 350 and $400 billion. And diabetes, 90 to 95% of diabetes is type two, which just means the mitochondria is sick. It's not type one, you weren't born with it. And so it's something that's easily able to be healed. And if you can heal heal diabetes, we can deal with that expense to society, but also the cascading effects that come along with diabetes, right? And you have ancillary diseases that come along with it, other comorbidities that come along with it as you get older, right? So that 350 billion turns into a trillion, turns into 2 trillion, 3 trillion. So if we're ultimately trying to figure out how to help humanity, society in the richest country in the world, even if we tax people at 100%, 10 years from now, that's an expense that we can't figure out how to deal with as a society. But then you have the individual side, which is, I think, what, you know, one of the main things you want to talk about in your podcast from a financial perspective is how do you deal with that from a financial perspective, even though um, there are plenty of drugs out there, people put a little, you know, needle in the back of their arm, it, it monitors it, pumps insulin into their body, and they can continue to eat. What we're trying to do is teach people that that's fine, but you're not healing the mitochondria. So even though you're living a normal life, the expense, the $350 billion expense is going to be a trillion dollars because more and more people are still getting sick, getting diabetes, even though they're able to live a normal life with it. They're not fixing the problem. They're treating the symptom. And if we can teach them how to treat the symptom, heal the mitochondria and do it in a way, once again, that isn't complicated. We're talking about that's the key thing yeah, that, that yeah. really caught my attention when when we were talking about this uh, is the fact that you can heal the mitochondrial DNA and and the science there is this ha, have you taken some arrows and darts uh, from more mainstream thinking or has it really evolved to a point now where this is considered mainstream science and medicine? Um, or is it considered more fringe science and medicine? Look, uh, Darren, I guess with that one, I mean, they're still giving out 
you know, insulin injections. And that's, that's the main treatment. They say the problem is big pharma designs those insulin injections to repair the gut. Um, and it does nothing about the visual and circadian axis, which is the real issue in diabetes. So I would say it's still a, a, an idea trying to break in um, and peel back the lies that we've been given, uh, the Band-Aid solutions and the temporary, you know, peel overs. Um, but, you know, it's, it's becoming much more prevalent amongst um, the medical community with, you know, naturopathic doctors and other doctors that are you know bucking the trend um, of the standard treatment so I mean when you understand and linking it back to your wife's challenges with the blue light and how severe that is for the body I mean connecting that through to diabetes I mean as soon as you get blue light anywhere on your biologic surfaces which is the interface we have with nature with our environment wherever we are, indoors, outdoors, wherever, our eyes, our skin, our gut, and our lungs are our external surfaces. And they all contain uh, photoreceptive pigments, chromophores, porphyrins, and other uh, photoreceptive and temperature sensitive uh, tissues to be able to interact with those particular frequencies and vibrations. And um, it gets complex underneath that. But what you really need to know and the audience needs to know is that anytime that you have, you've got junk food and junk light, anytime you have junk light, it's blue, green, any other types of lights uh, that are coming from, you know, an artificial LED or a, uh, an incandescent globe even, um, or some of the other ones you pick up at Home Depot. Um, any of these fluorescence, uh, tubular lights, it hits your body and it raises your blood glucose without eating. The problem with this is that really we're designed to raise blood glucose, one, to that extent during the summer or during the middle portion of the day and or when we're eating and none of those things are happening when we get that exposure so when we have huge insulin fluctuations we have dysregulation of blood sugar and that leads to insulin resistance and leptin resistance so our normal diurnal rhythm our circadian rhythm of insulin is designed to be triggered in the morning with breakfast within an hour of waking up that then sets the tone for the blood glucose assimilation through our metabolism in our mitochondria for the rest of the day. So if we skip our breakfast, it's called break fast for a reason, then our insulin rhythm's off. Then we're getting blue light because we're being woken up by a sunrise by our phone. We wake up and the phone screen is our sunrise and that automatically spikes your cortisol, your adrenaline, your insulin, and your glucose. And you do that for a period of time and eventually type 2 diabetes knocks on your door or the term pre-diabetic gets thrown around and then you get scared and it raises your blood glucose further. So we have systemic issues that, um, and we like to deal with the root cause. Like Mike was saying earlier, we understand the principles of nature, the principles of the body, biophysics and um, biochemistry. And we want to attack the issue at the root cause because we're sick of the modern paradigm, you know, giving people band-aid solutions. Um, and perpetuating the healthcare costs and the injuries and the family dependencies that they have to live with, um, you know, by, by having sick children or by being sick themselves, you know, they can't be as good parents. They can't earn money for their children that they would like to. They don't have the same time. I mean, there was a study that was done on an autistic child. It costs $2 million US dollars to raise an autistic child from age zero to 18. I mean, that's a lot of resources dedicated to, to one person. If we can fix that problem, which is possible, uh, you can actually avoid that and put that $2 million towards, you know, something amazingly uh, helpful for yourself, your community, your family, and society as a whole. So health and wealth are Siamese twins. They're linked at the hip. 
And if anyone cares about their finances, they need to care about their health. What's interesting, yeah. what, what's interesting though, that and, uh, when you look at this stuff, once again, I focus on the environment uh, since we went to college and now, and blue light, the blue light that you look at today on TV's screens was designed in 1992, 93. Uh, I believe the guy's got a Nobel prize and the blue light, the LEDs, you know, the advent of Wi-Fi, 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, now to 5G, all being in the house now. These are all non-native, whether it's visible or non-visible frequencies in the house. And the reason I bring that up, you know, in a general sense, and Nate, I know you're going to want to speak to this, is, is that you can't out-eat your environment. When we were younger, everybody has been trained to think about food, 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 food. And food, when you're in a clean environment, is can significantly move the needle to your overall health. But the environment we live in today, with light in your eyes after sundown, pulsing yourself with 4G and 5G all the time and after sundown and throughout the time you're trying to sleep, right? It's impossible to out eat your environment to get healthy. And when you exercise in that environment, you're actually creating inflammation. So you might look good, but that's why you see a lot of times now, I don't know how much you're paying attention. You're seeing athletes have heart attacks and die. You're seeing blood clotting. You're seeing um, athletes get very sick, even though they look like Adonis's. You're seeing that inflammation. But the, the reason I bring that up is because when you talk about type 2 diabetes, to bring it back to your question, everybody focuses on food and they're able to move the numbers a little bit but you can't heal yourself. But what do they tell people to eat? They're telling people to eat whole foods. They're telling people to eat foods from the photosynthetic web. And Nate, I know you want to probably talk about what happens when food hits the belly, when you eat it from photo, you know, live food as opposed to bag and box food. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so significant. And that's why it does move the needle. Yeah, you got that right. So, I mean, just a perfect parallel to that. We've seen um, 30 million diabetics in India pop up out of nowhere in the last 30 years. And there's huge studies showing this and not the diet has not changed in India. And the populations that are getting diabetes are in the south part of India, which um, has you know a huge vegetarian population. Um, but the thing that has changed is the, the Bangalore is one of the cities that's become the tech capital of the world. All the companies in the US and UK and Australia have outsourced all their call centers to Bangalore. So you've got huge amounts of population and they skipped a lot of the fiber optic era. So they went straight from, um, you know, uh, hardwired phones to wireless straight away. Um, there was no real development. So there's a ridiculous amount of wireless frequencies um, and office buildings with uh, AC power grids, um, nothing controlled for power lines, no regulations, smart meters everywhere. Um, and artificial bulbs and, and fluorescent globes everywhere. Um, I've got several friends over there and it's, it's absolutely crazy. Now, the most incredible thing, now that the vegetarian diet is not able to give us enough electrons and enough bioenergetics to be able to withstand the toxic electromagnetic environment we live in now, is that these are skinny diabetics. So this is a worse type of diabetes. So you don't have the fat, white adipose fat tissue to be able to support your metabolism in times of starvation or in times of metabolic inefficiency. They're now skinny 
and people are questioning the modern paradigm is like well how is this happening and really the size of the person has nothing to do with it the disease is the same it's it's a circadian mismatch and it's a artificial exposure so going back to the photosynthetic web nothing on on earth would exist without light there's not a single thing would um, and the thing that controls our seasons and our temperatures is uh, our sun. So if you go back to the source and you figure out that when photosynthesis occurs in any type of a, a plant, um, it takes the solar light, it takes the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and it takes the water from the earth and the nutrients, and it turns that into sugars and oxygen so that our mitochondria can then, as humans and animals, we can then breathe in that oxygen, eat that sugar, and turn that back into energy to pump to fuel our bodies we turn that back into carbon dioxide so we breathe out that's the only reason we take the next breath because carbon dioxide builds up in us to take in more oxygen and water and this seems to be the thing that's lost so we reverse the photosynthetic process so the challenge is as well that most people think okay you eat food protein carbohydrates lipids it breaks down in the body and then that somehow produces energy well the way we produce energy and why I love mitochondria so much is we call it electron chain transport. So it's actually the transport of electrons. Now we're getting into the quantum biology, the subatomic scale. So we've got the electrons that funnel through the mitochondria and we have the protons that tunnel on the outside of the inner mitochondrial membrane. So this charge separation between the plus and negative inside the mitochondria is uh, to a charge of 30 million volts. That's the voltage of a lightning bolt in each of our mitochondria. So we have this charge separation, this potential energy inside our body that comes from collecting the electrons and the protons from food, water, air, touching the earth, other people around us. And we wanna collect as many of those as possible to keep that voltage high so we can then have as much potential energy. Now, the amazing thing about photosynthesis is it actually charges up this food with particular vibrations based on the seasons. So a summer food like a mango or a banana will have very highly excited electrons inside it. So when you eat that, you want your environment on the outside to be the same. When it's not, it causes incoherence and it causes inflammation. You do that enough, it'll cause massive inflammation through the gut, through your entire body. So, so let's uh, so let's stop there for a second because that's yep. a funny one that I like to I like to joke about with people because I th I think it's something that resonates and makes people think, yeah, that makes sense. So once again, we're humans, we're not biologically built to have food flown on planes around the world. So people in Wisconsin, the example he just gave you, people in Wisconsin like fats and meats because that's what's plentiful around them. Just because they put a whole foods there doesn't mean they should be eating, be eating bananas from Brazil in December. And when they do, it's like syrup on the mitochondria. So it's a big mismatch. So people say, oh, I'm having a fruit smoothie, it's healthy. No, the context is important. If you live in Central America, you can, eat uv 13 and 14 all day long but if you live in canada you shouldn't be pounding fruit that's going to be releasing uv 13 14 in your belly that's just totally. another great example of something i had just no awareness of you, you've shared it with me but it's uh i'm not sure how many people really understand that and know that you know um you know having a banana smoothie or 
orange oranges i mean sure there's people that understand you know the smoothie context and how it breaks the fiber down and the sugar aspect of things so there's awareness of that for a lot of people that may not be the healthiest thing better to eat an orange but you're actually saying it may not even be a good idea to eat an orange based on the geographical location you are based on the science that you're talking about look darren i mean one of the things we have to agree on is does nature make mistakes that that's the question um, I don't believe nature makes mistakes. Um, we're not here by mistake. We're here because we are a subject of our environment um, over many generations. And when you realize that um, life is optimized to live anywhere on this planet, we can live anywhere if we live with nature. So this comes back to the greatest uh, challenge that humanity is facing through our massive healthcare paradigm um, at the moment is this denial of your environment. And we decide to build structures and houses and any type of environment to give us, to allow us to sink back into our comfort zones. So if you live in uh, Northern Canada and you don't get cold, you know, cold exposure, you are going to get sick. If you live in, uh, in uh, Ecuador and you hide from the sun, you are going to get sick. So there is a, a latitude dependency uh, with diseases like such as multiple sclerosis is, a, is a, a huge example. The incidence of multiple sclerosis in the tropics is virtually zero. Whereas you go anywhere further away from that, you'll find huge incidences as you increase the latitude further away from the equator. So this is not that it's not healthy to live away from the equator. It's that as we get further from the equator, we choose not to live with our environment. So um, you know, one of the classic things is cancer rates increase as we get further away from the equator as well. Now, what we realize is those people, uh, cancer rates, are, uh, cancer is basically di um, uh, designated by uh, a glucose metabolism. So for instance, we'll get back to zoom back to the mitochondria for one second. So when you put a glucose molecule through the mitochondria, so uh, the electrons that are in there, they enter at the start and they come out to the end, they make 36 ATP, which is our energy molecule. If you put through a free fatty acid through our beta oxidation in our mitochondria, just one of them, you make 147 ATP. So nature has designed us to be more metabolically efficient when you're eating a high fat diet. So as Mike said before, where are the high fats in nature? Further away from the equator. So nature has designed us to eat, live, and connect with nature further from the equator in, that, in a one way. And as we get close to the equator, we're designed to do it in a slightly different way. Neither of them are right or wrong. In fact, you can potentially actually be more metabolically efficient by doing a huge amount of cold therapy um, and generate higher amounts of testosterone, higher muscle tissue, higher dopamine levels than you can directly on the equator. Um, but not, no one wants to experience a real winter. And this is the biggest problem, I believe. And so is that uh, an example of how Mike was just saying before this uh, call, he was in the cold plunge for, what did you say, 45 minutes, Mike? I did 50 degrees for 45 minutes. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. Is, is that uh, an example of that? How you have introduced, you know, through technology, a cold plunge to be able to capture that, uh, th those health benefits? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Nate. yeah. So, the magic of this is, you know, you can bring the cold to the warmth, but it's very difficult to bring the warmth to the cold in the same way. So this is why 
generally it will be more optimal to live closer to the equator because you can always use technology to do that. Now, a sauna versus sunlight doesn't have the same effect. You cannot replace the sun. So even if you live in the north of Wisconsin and you have a really good sauna in your backyard that you get into each day, it's not going to replace the UV light that you're missing from living close to the equator. So um, now Mike and I've been doing this health routine since I've been here and it's epic 45 minutes we've built up to, to 50 degrees. So guys out there, girls out there, don't feel like you have to get there straight away. This is this whole thing that we preached and we share is about acclimatization. This is not shocking the body. There's, there's two types of methodology that go along with cold adaption. And one is, the sort of cool, sexy, you know, ALS ice bucket challenge, you know, jumping in ice, you know, Wim Hof side of things, walking up mountains with your shoes off on ice. Um, that that doesn't have a long-term mitochondrial, um, you know, it's not pleasurable, right? It, it's it's not going to do a, a good thing for your, your mental health because you're going to resist it and you probably won't stick with it. So the methodology that that is more optimized for our mitochondria is nature's way. And nature's way is slowly acclimatizing to the winter as you enter it so that when you're in it, you're burning like an absolute machine and your body, when it's cold adapted, it produces ketones. It doesn't, it, it literally soaks up glucose and diminishes as much of that in the blood as possible. And it allows your body to preferentially use ketones, which makes your brain more efficient. And one of the best things that we do with cold exposure is it sensitizes our entire receptor biology, which means you don't have to have great thyroid hormone or estrogen or progesterone or testosterone. You don't even have to have good levels. It sensitizes your entire biology to those hormones. So it makes the most of the very small amount that you have. It's basically like an SSRI serotonin uh, uh, inhibitor, um, but a natural way of doing it and not harmful with no side effects. Um, so it's fascinating. So, so to, to say that a little differently for the layperson, if you're doing cold, it allows you to can to set your circadian rhythm because it's more sensitive and heal your and and I guess what I call make your light tight again, right? You're setting your satellite, your SEN in your brain. So the more you get outside, the more you're setting your circadian the rhythm, the more your hormones are going to release properly, you're going to sleep better. And there's that, that cascading effect. The cold will allow you to reset your leptin faster and the rest of your hormones. Leptin is the master hormone, which is geared towards light. Leptin doesn't release until three hours of darkness in your eyes and your belly at night. That's the reason why you want to cover your eyes so you don't see fake light, but you also don't want to be eating at night. So because once again, if food's in your belly, it's sending a signal to your brain and it's telling your brain to produce hormones when you're actually sleeping, your brain isn't sleeping, leptin's not releasing, melatonin is not releasing, and then cortisol in the morning is not spiking properly, which is why you will feel hungry, you'll feel sluggish, you'll feel like you need coffee. And so it's a cascading symphony that is all geared to us toward light. And once again, if you get back to how we lived up to 100 over 100 little over 100 years ago we saw a fire which was infrared light which does not uh, in any way disrupt the circadian clock um so that you know well, it, i kind of view a lot of what you're talking about as really the uh, like an iceberg metaphor you know you see the tip of the iceberg and so man we've touched on so many things but you know like food for example all right well improve your diet okay great but all these things underneath the surface that we may kind of have some awareness of and then a lot of it we we don't even have awareness of that we're we're not even seeing ninety percent of the dangers that can take down 
our ship, our Titanic, uh, with that iceberg metaphor. You know, one of the things you you coached me on doing was to buy the aura ring, which I have, as you know, and I bought one for my daughter who swims at UCLA. And you've talked to her on the phone. Um, I'm wearing the yellow glasses to get the the blue light because I'm looking at the monitor. Um, I've uh, I wake up every morning. Um, I always woke up early, but I my first move now instead of looking at at this thing, right? I go outside. I sit there with my wife. Um, strangely enough, our dogs just do it naturally, and I've actually done a little research on that. Animals just know exactly what follow to the, do. Follow the animals. That's exactly right. right. If you want to, you watch the cows in the summer, you watch the animals in the summer, they're out grazing in the morning, which is what you want to be out in the sun doing. It gets a little hot, they go in the shade and then they go yeah. back out later in the day. And if you follow the animals, you'll be just fine. <laughs> Collecting electrons, laying in the grass. You know, one of the things I've been in my head about though, is, you know, uh, we have skin cancer and all of that uh, everywhere. And I live in Phoenix, Arizona. So I love the sun. I love being outside, but uh, you know, it actually has an impact on, on your skin, obviously. And we talked a little bit about, you know, sunscreen and, and the pros and cons of that and how even sunglasses you shared with me, you know, you wear sunglasses outside that really can trick your brain. And, and there's some science there. So I'd like to touch a little bit on, on that. Um, well, let's just, I want to simple just, before we do that, let's go there. Yep. Yeah, we will. We, we can go there. Nate, let's jump into that in a second. But I, I did, for the audience, I did want to simplify a little bit of what Nate said because he said a lot. But I, I sure. want to kind of tie it with a bow. The comp people have made food. I've read every book, every diet over the last fifteen years just to read them. Whether it's fruitarian, whether it's paleo, whether it's pescatarian, Mediterranean, raw, you name it, vegan. I've read them all. And the wonderful thing about understanding what light and that you're eating light and that you're seeing light and everything that's geared toward light. And you should only be eating what your environment is telling your eye and your brain and your gut to expect. And so it it's ridiculously simple. We don't need to overcomplicate it. The diets that will work are the ones that will, if you eat food that is growing from the photosynthetic web that is local to you. You can dance around this all day long. You can talk about this, that you can talk about, you know, uh, what, your haplotype is, you can do all this wonderful stuff, but your eye and your stomach are expecting the same light and you're eating light. When you eat bag and box food that's built in a manu in a manufacturing facility under fake light, it's dead food. There, you're not gonna get any, any light energy photons from that food. And so the idea, if, you, if people wanna keep it really simple, wherever you are, you should be going to your farmer's market to get the fruits that are growing because that's the light that your eye is seeing. So there will not be a light mismatch. Um, that's why I give the extreme example of, we're not biologically built to have planes flying food from Central America to Canada in the winter. What they're supposed to be doing is being outside as much as they can and eating foods that are local to them. And obviously in the winter, you know what's gonna be available in those situations. But Mother Nature, you know, Nate talked about this, and Mother Nature has accounted for a lot. When you're in a colder environment, we collect light faster. We're an oscillation. We're a collection of atoms. When you're outside and you're cold, you're going to be more electrically efficient. It's just that simple, just like a computer. And so if you get outside, people who are biologically built, like Northern European folks, have lighter skin. Well, what does that mean? When they go outside, what happens? They get red really fast. 
white eye, white skin, blue eyes collect light a lot faster than someone who's, let's say, Dominican or black, who lives in Central America, who has a ton of melanin, who needs to be outside a lot longer to collect that same amount of light. So when Nate says Mother Nature has doesn't make mistakes, she doesn't. They deliver the proper water source in the in the colder regions. This, the Northern Europeans have blue eyes, they have light skin. So when they go out, they're getting light a lot faster because they're getting a lot less of it, but in a colder environment. So they're collecting it faster, it's colder, and they're getting what they need. And then the food supply is there. They're eating foods that are gonna keep them in a ketogenic. They're gonna be sleeping more because they're supposed to sleep in that ketogenic environment. And what happens is, is when you undo what mother has mother nature has you know packed up for you is when you have all these cascading diseases like diabetes and things like that so if you've heard and i say this to almost everybody i talk to because i think what i just said will tie into what you hear on the news about every single disease you can pick the disease whether it's diabetes heart disease covid it doesn't matter They'll say blacks and Hispanics are more susceptible. Why? Because you have blacks and Hispanics living in New York City with basically no light, no natural light for six months out of the year. And then in the summer, it's UV6 and UV7, which isn't that strong. They're biologically built with that much melanin. They collect light a lot slower. They're biologically built to be much closer to the equator. So contrary to what everybody believes, it's not okay from a health perspective to take people with darker skin, put them above the 40th latitude, have them stay indoors all day, give them technology, and then give them cheap food through um, some support program, right? And there's millions and millions and millions of people that are in New York that are very, very sick, and they'll always be more susceptible to every disease because they're not biologically built to be there. If you take someone who's a very light-skinned person and they get out and get very little light, they're going to survive better. It's a biological certainty. So when you talk about what I'm passionate about, I'm, that's something simple that I'm passionate about, that we can change the paradigm to say, look, there's a lot of things we can do to change their environment. There's a lot of things we can do to change their food source. But ultimately, if we don't figure out how to change, get them to understand how light impacts their health that way it's a biological certainty that they will always be sicker a hundred percent a hundred percent certainty and and that's what i'm passionate about right helping what, people what do you think the that. reason is is that this isn't more widely discussed and and out there for everyone to know about well, what we're talking about Darren, well, i'll let you nate i'll let you jump in in a second but i would tell you my short experience is Working with some of the best neuroscientists in the world, people on there are people understand bits and pieces of the science, but they haven't put it together. There's a couple of doctors out there around the world that have put together, you know, the biophysics of light and understanding the biological effects of this. And that's that's the magic of this. They just don't understand light and biology. Um, and they'll admit it. And there's a lot of people that are hungry for this information and it's exciting. And I think people, as they start to work on this, like I said, we were lucky enough to bump into a few people that are geniuses around this subject, but also some, the, uh, the doctor that we're working with in the sports leagues now, um, he will tell us himself, he talks to some of the best ophthalmologists in the world and tell you they know nothing about light and how it affects the eye, the brain, how it absorbs the light. Um, so for us, that's the opportunity. Like, let's show the information. Let's show what happens. Let's show the healing. 
um, using technology that we can to measure it on top of it. And once we start to do that, you know, what I think is going to happen, once again, the great thing about the podcast here from a financial perspective is my feeling is very simple. We're getting to a point where whether it's the federal government or the state government, people are running out of funds for healthcare. And if they can't pay for Medicaid, these uh, hospital chains, these uh, health networks in each state, each state is different, whether it's Atrium here, this 400 hospitals in New York, these hospital chains are gonna run out of money and they're gonna be looking for ways to actually create long-term solutions when they understand that this is you know, a wave that we're never going to get rid of, right? And I think we're getting to that point over the next three, five, six, seven years. And when we do, I think with the information, hopefully that we'll put together, we'll be able to show them some of these opportunities to whether it's diabetes or some of these other illnesses and showing different outcomes that we can implement some of these, some of these things for control groups where they'll start to see the significance. And what, as I said earlier in the conversation, some of the stuff we're going to do, like I said, with technology now, we can show uh, 30, 60, 90 days, whether it's hormones, whether it's, you know, uh, metrics around blood sugar, whether it's um, hydration, you know, water chemistry in the body. I mean, there's plenty of things we can show in a very short amount of time. Sleep is an obvious one, as we talked about showing the sleep scores, but that there's cascading effects of inflammation in the body and things that most doctors wouldn't even begin to test that we're going to show in a very short period of time. And if I could take an athlete, think about this, if I could take an athlete who's literally the best athlete in the world and show how we can move those markers in a short period of time for the best of the best, imagine what we're going to do with sick people. It's going to move it even more significantly in a short period of time. So when we take them out of that environment and, and show the metrics, then put them back into their environment just for a month, two months, three months, and show how much being in uh, blue light, 5G, eating on the road, um, not sleeping does for them in just one month, right? The numbers are very, very powerful. Did you say there's a 30 to 40% increase in athletic and cognitive uh, uh, ability if, when you start applying all these these coaching tips that you so, guys are talking about? Yeah, so, you know, Nate, why don't you talk a little bit about water chemistry and, and changing the water chemistry and the hydration? I think that's important because uh, those that and the inflammation are big markers to to show, um, you know, the ability for longevity and health. Yeah. So, you know, once again, the, the light hygiene or visible and invisible light hygiene, um, just purely looking at that, um, it, what it does is. Uh, it, it deals with the um, the hydrogen bonding network in in the uh, water that's in our body. So our body is mostly a bag of water and bacteria, pretty much that. And then underneath that, it's all energy. So um, when light, especially full spectrum light, hits our surfaces, uh, it charge separates the water into hydrogen, oxygen, and two free electrons for each H2O molecule. So this allows two free electrons to be uh, to basically represent our biologic battery. So when light comes in, it turns our water networks into a fourth phase, a gel sort of phase, which Dr. Gerald Pollack has talked about relentlessly in his podcasts and books. And, uh, and this is where we get our uh, superconduction of DC electric current and fiber optic movement of light around our biology. So um, when you increase the energy 
the bioenergetics of the body, um, it's only, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a non-linear benefit that you will get. So this is one of the reasons why we want to, um, you know, why we're actually putting together, uh, this scientific trial. Um, this is how much we, we want to show that it actually works and that it works on all the metrics, the testing metrics that we'll, we'll come out with. Um, and you can measure these things, you know, with simple blood and saliva tests and, and retinal scans and different uh, uh, brain imaging software through MRIs and things like that. The, the MRI was invented basically off Gilbert Ling's technology, who was a water researcher through the 1900s. Um, and it looked at the hydrogen bonding network and it tells the difference between uh, excited water and non-excited water and deuterium loaded water. So heavy water and hydrogen loaded water. Um, and you can see where that is in the body. You can see how much uh, you know, inefficient water is getting into the mitochondria, into the fatty liver, you know, um, into the, the CSF, into the brain and clogging that up. You know? um, so, so water chemistry is, is absolutely fundamental to this. And um, just touching on, on Mike's point before, I wanted to mention um, about the ophthalmologists and they believe that the, you know, the eye is just a camera and uh, it's not a clock, it's both. So if we could get the education out there to anyone who knows any ophthalmologists to just look at one paper, looking at the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the SCN, the master clock in the middle of our brain, right in front of the, the pituitary, which controls the entire rhythm of our entire body. Um, um, uh, John Hoganesque has shown that our half of our genome, 20,000 genes, half of them respond directly to circadian signals. So. You know, we're looking in the nuclear genome for, for issues, uh, you know, diseases and mutations and things like that. And half of that genome is controlled by your circadian timing on a daily basis. So, and the other, the other half of the genes pay attention to the first half. So we're talking about, you know, uh, once again, coming back to our light environment as, as the primary cause. And look, if we can get the number one specialist who looks at the eye, um, the ophthalmologists, um, and, and perhaps, you know, the neuroscientists, neurosurgeons as well, we can get them on board so that they can start reading their own literature to see if they could find, uh, you know, some connections that will help them move their own needle. I think we can really make massive change. And, and look, you know, coming from someone who's had a retinal disease from when he was a baby, and I've had, you know, huge amounts of eye drops and over 50 general anesthetics and, um, you know, looking one month appointments since I was one year old, all the way till I was 22, looking in my eye, looking, mapping the retina, doing all that, um, looking at my cataracts, which developed. So I had cataracts at age nine, posterior cataracts on the back of the lens because of the radiation came from behind. So when you have cataracts on the front of the lens, it's because you have artificial frequencies coming in and the body putting a cloud, a shield up to protect it. When you remove those artificial frequencies from your eye environment, the cloud goes away and your cataracts are gone. But one in two people in America have cataracts in their lifetime and they take those lenses out those beautifully functioning adapting accommodating lenses now i've had mine taken out of my left eye my right one's still there with the cataract in it so my brain's going all right there's a synthetic lens here can't focus there's one that still focuses but it's got a cloudy cataract in there um, and so, you know, my brain's getting confused, but the problem with this is as soon as you put any filter and this links back to your question, Darren, cause I don't want to skip over this one. When you talk about sunglasses, skin cancer, covering the skin with tattoos, with clothing, with anything that blocks that surface from interacting without any type of, uh, a barrier between nature and the cells themselves, um, the, the cataract, uh, the, the, sorry, the prosthetic lens will actually filter out certain parts of the spectrum. So 
what is it basically doing? Well, it's like turning on an artificial light. You're just narrowing that full rainbow that Mike mentioned before to a certain level. And just like if you take a certain medication, it's one pointed solution designed to do one thing. You take it too much, you'll eventually end up way out of balance in that side. So because our screens and our, our lights indoors are lit by blue light, because our, uh, our frequencies we communicate are using radio frequency radiation between 2.4 and 20 gigahertz, let's say, we've had an overexposure to these frequencies. And so our biology is doing its best to adapt to what it can with this. So it's not that our biology is doing the wrong thing. It's trying to save our lives. That's why we get adrenal fatigue. We don't have a heart attack. That's why we get hypothyroid. So we don't have a heart attack. You know, cancer is a survival mechanism. It keeps us alive longer than if it didn't develop cancer. So everything's an adaption and a positive adaption to this soup of frequencies around us. So for instance, going back to, to the common thread that links uh, tattoos, wearing clothing, sunglasses, intraocular lenses, contact lenses, uh, sunscreen, makeup, uh, skin products, hygiene products, things like that. Every single one of those are going to be filtering out ultraviolet light from coming into the body. Now, modern main, mainstream medicine would say, yes, that's a good thing. Um, now, the studies that show that that was a good thing, I put quotation marks on that, is back in the 1900s, early 1900s, when they showed um, a trial that uh, ch children were going through um, retinal hyperplasia uh, studies, and they were using UV light therapy to reverse this retinal hyperplasia. What they found is they found some ocular melanoma in occasional, uh, in one or two of the kids um, in the study. And so they thought, mm, that's interesting. The, the treatment that was working for tuberculosis and rickets and jaundice, which is UV light therapy, is now giving, and retinal hyperplasia, is now giving some type of DNA mutation causing cancer. Okay, let's have a look at that. And so they studied it. They found UV light causes DNA damage. It breaks the strands. Okay, cool. UV light causes cancer. Oh, that's in the sun. That causes cancer too. False, completely false. And the reason why is because they, they've basically isolated a frequency and they haven't fully appreciated the fact that sunlight is 51% red and infrared light all day long, no matter where you are. So this red and infrared light actually does the opposite. It repairs DNA. It stimulates melatonin. It stimulates the cellular repair programs. It, it, uh, it does the opposite. So when you have that red and infrared coupled with the ultraviolet, you actually get the benefits of the ultraviolet and the repair mechanisms of the infrared. So the benefits of the ultraviolet, we almost don't even have to discuss vitamin D. Uh, everyone who has cancer, even skin cancer, has a low vitamin D. So riddle me how they could possibly have, you know, a toxic UV exposure when they have skin cancer because it's just not possible. Number two, we have uh, two most massive photoreceptor pigments in our skin and our eyes that are specifically designed by nature to absorb vitamin uh, to absorb UV light. One of them is neuropsin. Neuropsin is in the cornea and it's through the eye and it's in the subcutaneous fat. It is specifically designed to absorb frequencies at 380 nanometers at its peak and a little bit on each side. That's ultraviolet A light. So we are designed to get ultraviolet A light in our eyes. So we're designed to get UVB because it sulfates cholesterol for vitamin D. We're designed to get UVA because it goes through the eye and it sets our circadian rhythm and does a huge amount of other things, including synthesizing dopamine, T3, thyroid hormone, uh, melatonin, serotonin, all these things. That ultraviolet light is the signal for the production of those things. Um, the second thing is we have melanin and melanin pigment. There's two types, there's pheomelanin, and then there's 
eumelanin. So pheomelanin is more of a yellowy red sort of pigment um, reserved for our Northern European friends. And eumelanin is that darker sort of pigment, more equatorial type. So these types of melanin, pheomelanin, when it interacts with sunlight, releases a few more reactive oxygen species because that's the way nature's designed it. And eumelanin receives a little bit less. But either way, they both absorb ultraviolet light. Now, the amazing thing about this is that same melanin pigment that's in our skin and that's on the top of mushrooms, toadstools, is actually in our eye. It's the reason why our brain and our eye uh, is, is um, loaded with, with that. Is You can just look at the iris of the eye. So if it's blue, it has very little melanin. If it's green, it has a bit more. If it's brown, it has even more. And you look at the retinal pigment epithelium, which is behind the aqueous humor, so the back of the eye, and those layers are loaded with melanin, huge amounts of melanin. If you go back further, all the way into the locus aureus and the substantia nigra, right in the middle of the brain, there is the darkest pigment known to man. It's called neuromelanin. Now, this melanin absorbs not just UV light, it actually absorbs uh, uh, cosmic rays, gamma rays, X-rays, and radio frequency radiation, all of it. So you go, okay, why do we have this dark pigment in our retinas that absorbs UV light, in our brain inside where it's dark that absorbs UV light? Well, it's because UV light is really important for our biology and it goes a lot deeper, which we can go into another time or later if you want. Yeah, I, and I think once again, like with the food mismatch, it's important, Nate, to, you know, just from a sunglass perspective, you know, sunglasses effectively weren't around 50 years ago sun lotion wasn't around 50 years ago everybody if you look at a beach was skinny in shape outside all day and we didn't have if you look at just statistically and i've talked to doctors once again that do thousands of cataracts a year and they believe they believe that uv light causes cataracts and my response to them was we had 205 million people in 1971 in this country and people weren't blind walking into walls they didn't have cataracts and no one was wearing sunglasses and we didn't have an epidemic of skin cancer and we didn't have sunscreen. So effectively didn't use sunscreen like we do today. And so we're at the lowest solar exposure in human history and we're sicker than we've ever been. And we have more cancer than we've ever had. And we have more. Uh, and if you look at where the incidence of skin cancer are, they're in low light environments. So I think it's important. Uh, you know, you've talked to, you're getting a little heady, Nate. Um, I think it's important to talk about the signals that are sent through the eye that they're missing when they wear sunglasses to prepare the skin. Yeah, totally. So um, when, when you put on sunglasses, it filters out predominantly the ultraviolet, but also some of the other frequencies. Um, the challenge is that that light uh, spectrum that's getting to the suprachiasmatic nucleus and the retina and the hypothalamus um, is an altered signal compared to the one that your skin is experiencing from the full spectrum light. So the signal is incoherent within your brain and your body. So basically, anytime you have incoherence, you have a reduced uh, protection factor. So there's hormones that would normally get secreted during the day, which protect your skin from um, receiving sunburn, uh, you know, to a longer extent. Um, and that that is that they are hormones that um, that also free electrons in the water, so that you can capture more sunlight um, in the skin. So. Um, when you're getting an altered signal to your brain, it's saying, oh, it must be morning time or evening time. Your skin's going, oh, it must be midday. Okay, um, time to secrete two different hormones from the same center. Now we've got a buildup, like a, like a delivery and an arrival happening at the same time. 
and you've got a, a massive congestion in the body, which causes inflammation straight into the brain, straight into the skin. You will burn faster uh, and you'll have higher levels of inflammation across the whole body, which will bring out your weakest link. And if that's arthritis, if that's pain, if that's joint issues, if that's whatever it could be, that will start to flare up just from wearing sunglasses. That's, that's I think that's a really interesting point. Again, wherever you are, but uh, and we're rolling into summer, summer season, people have spent, you know, a lot of money on new sunglasses and they have lots of sunglasses and so forth. And we're on the golf course or on the beach, wh whatever. Um, I mean, that's, that kind of just flies in the face of everything that we, we know, you know, put on some sunscreen, wear sunglasses to protect your eyes. And so it's, um, again, it's these things that we don't even know we don't know. I mean, it makes total sense the way you're describing it. And the other thing that I find find fascinating about the sun, and it, it's, you think about it, it's could be one of the many reasons why societies, ancient civilizations that have been around forever have worshipped the sun because of all of its important aspects, the Egyptians and so forth. But the sun on fruit and and our food that we eat and the sun just hitting our skin and you know all these all these uh all these points that you're making it's just really fascinating how we're all just killing ourselves by being indoors too much putting on sunscreen wearing sunglasses it's uh it's kind of eye opening and how do you i guess the question i'd have for you then is how do you transition so You've got all these great points and and ways that we can start improving our health and repairing our mitochondrial DNA and preventing diseases, curing ourselves. How do how do you coach people to start making the transition, the transition away from Wi-Fi and 5G, the transition to you know protecting your eyes from the blue light, the transition, getting outside, not wearing sunglasses, circadian rhythm on and on what what steps i mean it sounds basic just do it but how that transition what do you guys recommend for people that are that want to get a better result and have better health and make better decisions well the way i consult with my clients is i, I tell them the most important five priorities and then i say what are the easiest things to do so just pick one thing each day one percent improvement every day will lead to um, massive improvement. So the biggest thing is controlling your light environment. So everyone, um, first step, get your pair of uh, yellow daytime uh, blue blocking lenses. Then once you get used to that, you want to get yourself an orange or a red sort of darker pair. Um, you want to acclimatize your brain to that transition. If you do it a little bit too quickly, um, you know, you'll probably not stick with it. So you want to give yourself an achievable goal um, and, and get there. So that's the most important thing. Your eye is the first surface to fix, uh, to get right, because that is the most important surface that leads straight through to the brain and the hypothalamus and all of your, your endocrine. And what are the things you're going to start seeing as a result of that, Nate? Well, the, the greatest thing you'll see is you'll start getting tired um, at the right times and you'll be awake during uh, the times you're meant to. So um, basically hyperstimulation is what we get when we don't wear these, these, uh, these lenses. So, um, you know, you ask any athlete, you ask any uh, mother who has a newborn baby, um, what's the most important thing to them? Sleep. So if they can get uh, that optimized sleep. And, you know, we've already um, shown through the partnership with Aura and everything else that you can move the needle on sleep very, very easily um, with blue light blocking glasses. Um, 
factors that people will start noticing. They'll start yawning as sunset hits. Um, they'll start uh, finding an aversion, an actual photo aversion to artificial light when it's dark. Um, and these are all signs that your brain is slowly repairing. You know, I'll give you a case in point. You know, since Mike started coaching me up and and I, I got these these yellow shades and the orange shades as well from your company, Blue Free Optical, I, um, I have noticed my circadian rhythm is more on, on sync. In fact, I just looked this morning and I posted something on Instagram about it, that the aura ring is, you know, tracks that it gets this, uh, what did it call it? Uh, you probably know the name of this, but, uh, um, let's see here. Sorry. Tell them, Nate, you know what you're tracking? High rate variability, deep sleep. Uh, it said, uh, yeah. your chronotype. It says, Aura knows your chronotype, your natural circadian rhythm influences your body temperature, sleep, wake cycle, and physical activity. Aura measures all of these, and three months of data is used as a basis of your chronotype. I haven't been doing this for three months, but I have been doing it now for, I think, maybe two months, maybe three months. But it says, my ideal sleep point is 9.30 p.m., my midpoint is 1.30 a.m., and my wake time is 5.30. And I guess I'll just tell you that I have noticed that I have noticed as I've been more diligent, I'm not perfect, but you know, um, wearing these and then I've just been getting up naturally at around five 15 going outside first move, watch the sun. Like I said, um, we're watching it go down at night. Um, I'm wearing these. I'm also falling asleep. Just like you were saying, I'm, I'm listening to what you're talking about, Nate, and I am getting more tired at 9, 15, 9, 9, 15, and I'm going to bed easier. Um, I've moved my phone away um, at least six feet. I know, Mike, you said you should hood it or at least get it six feet away to, to cut down on all that, all those, uh, those frequencies and waves. But personally, I have noticed a change. So just validation on the of what sleeping, you're talking the about. Fa the falling asleep at night is you, you're really resetting your leptin. The leptin after three hours of darkness is what's going to make you fall asleep and feel like an old man, like you can't keep your eyes open. <laughs> I never thought I'd be there, but um, you know, after doing this for so long, I can't keep my eyes open um, when my light is tight. And you know, one of the things I would add, because uh, you asked, you know, obviously Nate hit the nail on the head with with the eyes first, but it's the eyes and the belly. You know, one people I've, I've been doing this with friends for a long, long time. You know, some of them who are very difficult and they laugh um, and they joke until they get where they feel sick enough, where they want me to help them. But, you know, the, the joke is always, look, you can't have food, you can't have booze and you can't have light. You can't have light in your belly. You can't have light in your eyes. And if you do, if you wear the glasses and still eat at nine o'clock at night, once again, you're you're putting it in your belly. It's telling your brain and you know, the brain is not going to be asleep. Um, and so that starts the healing of, and you'll see dramatic sleep benefits really quick, especially if you do it perfect. Um, but it, whether it's falling asleep and knowing your leptin's healing, or you start finally saying, hey, I'm not as hungry as I used to be. This sati satiates me more. You start seeing that, you know, it's starting to affect, affect your blood sugar levels because you're sleeping better. Your cortisol is uh, working properly in the morning because you're seeing that sun, which helps your, all your reactions, insulin reactions for the rest of the day. Um, once again, you start to see that overall circadian symphony start to happen. You know, one of the biggest challenges, at least that I've gotten from folks is the eating portion of it. So they wear the glasses, 
I can get them to get the phones away. They feel good about that. But if they eat at five or six o'clock, especially at the winter, they're nervous. I'm going to be hungry again. Well, you're going to be getting tired earlier. And if you, if I tell people eat as much as you want, when the sun is up, it's not a calorie story. It's an energy story. And if your body is regulating energy and your leptin's healthy, you will burn fat when you sleep, you will burn energy um, really efficiently. It's just a matter of getting to that point. So I tell people eat as much as you want when the sun is up to make yourself comfortable that you won't have to eat in the dark. And as your hormones start to heal, you'll be less and less hungry over time. And that's really the challenge is just changing the meal timing. I've told people to eat the same exact thing, just change the dial. And if you change the dial, you will start to lose weight eating the same calories. And I will challenge anybody who doesn't believe that. Yeah. Anything, and this, anything, anything they want to bet, I guarantee it will happen. So this, this uh, will take care of the Ozempic uh, craze that's sweeping the country. Right. Once again, you're putting it's it's just like taking insulin. It's no different. You're not healing the mitochondria. You're not healing the hormones. You're losing muscle mass. There are plenty of good doctors out there that are already talking about the concerns about that. I don't tell people what to do. All I focus on is, if, do you want to take care of the problem, which is the hormones and the mitochondria, or do you want to figure out just how to look good, like an Adonis who's under blue light working out first thing in the morning, which is the worst time when your cortisol is spiking already to go do a crazy workout. Um, can you get away with it? Absolutely. I was a triathlete. I just told you that's how I bumped into you today, 17, 18 years later. I was running, winning, and doing stuff, but I was lucky enough to bump into someone who tested HSCRP, which almost no doctor tests for, highly sensitive C-reactive protein, which is the overall inflammation, and I was an eight. It's supposed to be under one. So he looked at me and said, you're, you're going off a cliff. You can keep racing, but you're going off a cliff. And so it's the same kind of thing. You can take a drug, you can lose the weight, and someone's going to show some some of the metrics that say, well, it's better for them to be skinny taking this than to be fat and doing that. You can make that argument, right? And say, overall, we know if they're this weight, they're going to try and make an assumption that they have all these benefits. There's so much other context to that to make an argument for another day. Having said all that, what did we start the discussion with? How do we want to financially impact society ourselves? And if we want to do that, we need to heal the mitochondria because you, you can't outpill, outshoot yourself. We're sicker than we've ever been. We have more inflammation, more gyms, more drugs, more shots than we've ever been. And our healthcare cost per person is through the roof, right? So do well, we you want to You said something there. I wanted to kind of touch on it before we move sure. too far away from it that sure. I want to make sure I caught from you. So you're saying the worst, the worst time of day to work out is in the morning. And I was under the impression that, you know, you get your circadian rhythm to where it needs to be. Everybody's a little different, but wherever your high energy level is, that's where you really want to focus uh, the important task, whether that's, you know, making financial decisions, business decisions, whatever complicated decisions, but also when you put your workout in. So there's so many people out there that are including myself, that's when I have my highest energy in the morning, I go get my workout in like I did this morning. And um, I really try and uh, attack the so complicated the tasks. The, there's yeah. different types of so there's so and, and Nate, I'd like you to comment on the the yep. four and five o'clock window for yep. weight lifting training, moving around in the morning is different than hit training. Right. So once again, it's important to have some context. I get up in the morning every day. That's how I met you. I go walk four miles. 
I throw a 40 pound weight vest on if I can't get up a mountain and a 12,000 elevation mask, but I'm not putting hit stress on me. So I wake up, I let the blue hue, the cortisol spikes, you know, spike is natural. I'm letting it wake me up naturally. I go out into the grass. I look at this. I look at the blue hue. I let my cortisol release. And then I go for a walk that to me is not a workout. It's moving around and, and enjoying the circadian rhythm, if you will, in the morning. So I do that. I like to do it just like I did with you. I don't think that was a hard workout. We were moseying up the hill and we sure. moseyed back down having a conversation. That's just getting your blood flowing. If you're in what I would consider, I'm 52 years old, I'm in reasonable shape. Um, but if you're talking about getting on a bike and pumping out wattage, or you're talking about like my neighbor who I'm very close with and he looks great, but I know, and he knows that a lot of internal stuff I'm sure isn't the healthiest in the world. He gets up and he's doing heavy lifting, heavy workout. I'm sure he's super inflamed. If I did an HSCRP test on him, he looks great, but you shouldn't be doing hit training when your cortisol is already spiked unless, and I'm not saying it's still ideal, but you can get away with it. If you're a great athlete who's sleeping and doing everything else and is dialed in, but the majority of the population is already inflamed and they're already not doing a lot of the stuff that we're talking about to have really healthy mitochondria. They're not managing their inflammation. They're not checking their inflammation properly. And so it's not ideal. I think it's important um, once again, to talk about the con context. If you want to do hard workouts, three, four, five, five o'clock in the afternoon, if your circadian rhythm is proper, is really the best time. And Nate, you want to comment on that? Yeah. So to sort of demystify the chronotype and uh, circadian side of things a little bit, because there's a whole industry now telling people they're night owls or lions in the morning or this or that. And really, I, I see it as a bit of disinformation. Um, if you look at our actual circadian rhythms over the genetic population that we've actually looked at, it's uh, some people have between 23.75 uh, and 24.14 uh, hours of a circadian rhythm. So some people are slightly over, some people are slightly under, but most people approximate at 24 hours. So all that means is that the majority that someone will be different from someone else's circadian rhythm in a single day will be about 45 minutes. So if anyone claims that they like getting up at 4am and they're like finishing reports and doing a workout or doing this or that before sunrise comes up, they're just going to end up with a chronic disease. Um, same as people who have a night owl aspect, such as, you know, when we're teenagers, our hormones are designed to keep us up a little bit later. Um, we're designed to be sort of reproducing during that time in our early 20s. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't last a huge amount and it's not excessively after sunset. So there is minor variation. Now, everything else that varies in that time is our own modern lifestyle and our habits and our behaviors. So when anyone says, oh, my chronotype is blah, 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 and it's departed from a classic circadian rhythm, which is wake up at sunrise or just before sunrise, go to bed three to four hours after sunset. Um, and sleep through the night completely without waking up, without going to the bathroom, um, and you wake up naturally without an alarm. That is the optimal skating rhythm. That applies pretty much to everyone. There's one disease called non-24, which is extremely rare, and those guys are exceptional to that. Besides that, when we wake up in the morning, that cortisol is its highest. So our cortisol melatonin rhythm, cortisol melatonin opposite on the antagonistic, just like vitamin A and vitamin D and prolactin and dopamine, they're antagonistic to each other. So Cortisol is high in the morning. It slowly drops as the day goes on until we fall asleep. And then it just stays at a level to keep us alive while we sleep. And then it slowly starts rising from 4 a.m. Melatonin 
does the opposite. So it starts low because we've used it all up at night. And when we're out in the ultraviolet A sunlight in the very early morning, the AM sun, it starts regenerating the melatonin so that when darkness hits, there's a huge melatonin spring pressure that can go and it shoots up and it pulls us into that tiredness state and it allows us to drop in and go to sleep. And it's linked to leptin biology and growth hormone and autophagy, which is what all the fasting guys will have you hear about. It's basically based around leptin and melatonin and the light signals. So melatonin needs four hours of darkness in order to get you into a sleep state. And then it keeps you in that sleep state while you're throughout the night. So um, our circadian rhythm uh, has the highest blood, uh, blood pressure raise at about four to 6 a.m. That's why most, most heart attacks will occur between four and 6 a.m. That's a circadian rhythm uh, event. Then we have our cognitive ability is better in the morning, as you pointed out, Darren. So we have from about, let's say sunrise at 6 a.m. We have from about 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. that we're designed by nature from our, our hypothalamus and our hormone secretion to do all of the thinking and a lot of the high powered cognitive work during that time. As we get into the afternoon, uh, our muscle fiber function starts boosting up, which is controlled by dopamine, which requires UV light. Uh, our our um, blood pressure starts to get to a level where it's able to handle more variation and more pressure, hence Mike's mentioning of the HIIT training. Um, and your muscle fiber uh, and, your, and your grip strength and um, jumping height, it was all been measured and they're all at highest in the early to late afternoon. So there's a book by Linda Geddes called Chasing the Sun and she references uh, the world records that have been broken. Um, and she says that 85% of all the world records ever broken have been done between two and 6 p.m. So you can't argue with the science and you can't argue with the circadian rhythm, the Chinese organ clock and the Ayurvedic organ clock um, the constitutions, they all align up with that. So intense physical activity in the afternoon, movement, yoga, breath work, qi, qigong, tai chi in the morning and walking. But you just got to keep that separation if you want to work with your biology. You can, you can break the biology for periods of time if you're training for a marathon, which I don't recommend you do. But if you do, um, you can break it. Like Mike said, especially athletes, they have a higher leeway. But we're now seeing athletes do have have you know, some pretty bad results as well. So you, you're almost, and if you live in this modern world, you're not immune. So I was just, just going to say, uh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, that's why I was giving you the examples earlier. You're starting to see the best athletes in the world have blood clots, right? From their 5G environment. And we can talk about the science behind that. You're starting to see a lot of anxiety amongst athletes, mental illness. Once again, they, you can't out eat and out train your environment to regen, you know, create cell death and regenerate cells which is what athletes do, right, um, in the past. But we're getting into an environment where, just like I said, you can't out-eat your environment anymore, you can't out-train your environment. And so once you start getting past that point of diminishing returns where they're inflamed, and that's the some of the stuff we're going to be measuring with these athletes to show them how inflamed they get once the season starts from being off-season, up in a great environment, following the protocols, moving those metrics to show the enhancement, and then put them right back into it, you work with, you know, the teams and the owners. It's kind of interesting. If you look at the NHL, I don't know the last time. It's been a real long time since a Canadian team won a Stanley Cup. But you see the two teams that were in the, the finals of Florida and Las Vegas. Strong light environments. Um, and you're starting to see that with injuries, too. We're tracking injuries with uh, the cities that um, adopted 5G first. So you're starting to start see some some numbers come in about injuries 
once again, when you start affecting the water chemistry in the body, it's it affects how the muscles and the ligaments can hold up. You're seeing a lot more non-contact injuries, non-full speed injuries now, injuries you wouldn't have seen years ago. Um, so that that conversation is going to start to bubble up and get really interesting. Um, once again, which we're excited to to be involved in to start showing yeah. some real metrics. It's it's really exciting to know the impact you guys can have. Um, on, on really society and, and athletes and, and non-athletes. And so let me make sure I heard this correctly. So you're saying universal, all of us humans, we're going to be better served doing that hit training and mus muscle training in the afternoon. Is that correct? Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent from a mitochondrial perspective. And that's mm -hmm. why I said, if, if people, and, and I try and, I try and make that, you know, he gets pretty heady and I, and I love him for that because he's great at it. Uh, um, but um, I try and keep it real as simple, simple for folks out there who are working out, who say they're great and think they're invincible. Just all you have to do is, is go out and uh, get blood work and get your HSCRP done, see where your inflammation is. And what I would say to you is if, if you're going to do that, do your workouts like you normally do them strong in the morning don't wear your blue light glasses, eat when you normally eat, eat six times a day like you'd like to eat, eat your shakes, do whatever you want, and then do the four or five things we tell you, 30, 60, 90 days better, better, and just do your test again. And I guarantee with 100% certainty, those numbers are going to move, they're going to move significantly, and your inflammation is going to go down. From a mitochondrial perspective, that's the way you need to start measuring, not how you look, not how you feel, but it, it's that's the challenge you have, right? People say, I feel great, or I feel good. The body is ridiculously resilient. And I give people, once again, an extreme example, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and millions and millions of people smoke. They smoke, they never get cancer, and they live 40, 50 years. The body, we all know that if you put 30, 386 chemicals in your lungs, it's not healthy for you. The body's very, very, very resilient. So it can get away with a lot. Uh, it can get away with less now that we've taken our environment and not plugged into lit nature so that we can get electrons and be outside and get that full rainbow of sun. So that's why you're seeing the explosion of Neolithic disease. But there are people who can get away. I've seen people run up mountains that are on a hundred percent fruitarian diet. And we can tell you from a biophysics perspective that if you live in the north and you're doing that, we tried. We told you a little bit on the podcast here today how we know that's bad for you. Um, just in general, that goes against how your biology. But some people can get away with it. That's just sometimes that happens. But you in know, general, I wish, that won't I, I wish we would have met six months ago because I've got my book over here that's about to publish Financial Fitness, and yeah. and it's it's done. It's already with the the last editor, and it should publish in 30 days. But the reason I bring it up is because. It, the, the concept behind that is the comparison of elite athletes and what they do to get their to get to their peak shape and then what what we can learn from that to get our financial house in perfect order. And one of the one of the one of the mentions I have in the book is there are consequences to your actions of not having your financial house in perfect order and people can skate through it. Right. You could have so much money that, you know, one disaster or another won't have an impact, but there are consequences to your actions. And so what I'm hearing you say is the body's resilient. You can, you can overcome things. You can smoke your whole life and live to be hundred years old. That does happen. We've heard of those stories. However, there are consequences as well. So do you want to be part of the, of, of society that really 
gets their health in order. And you're given steps that I had no, no idea about, you know, so I've already personally noticed some impact on the small steps that you've coached me on with the, the lenses protecting from the blue light, circadian rhythm, getting rid of my contacts, unless I absolutely need them to swing a golf club or swing my pickle racket or something. Um, but now I'm also learning and sunglasses as well, reducing those, eliminating those. But now we're talking about um, working out regime. So, I mean, I, I like to hit my workout. I, I too am a former triathlete. I've done a couple Ironmans. And so based on time and having three children and a business I was running, I, I had to do long rides in the morning and runs and swim at lunchtime and all that. Same with me. But <laughs> same I, exact thing yeah <laughs> that's and when I, I ran into doc that's when i read it i ran into him it was that's what i was doing so but now a little more uh different place in my life and so forth at 53 just turned 53 you know i gotta think about that how do i shift to the afternoon because you know frankly i don't have as much energy in the afternoon so now it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a discipline move to shift my workouts to the afternoon well it's a mental thing one one of the things i would say to you cuz i feel this way also one of the things it's, it's a mental thing i don't know if it's an it's uh the body having energy as nate was explaining to you i think it's the type of personality you are the type of personality i am right if it's a big part of our life and it's something that we have an objective to at, from 8 to 11 we, we want to run towards it. We want to go into it. We want to get at it. We want to do it. So I think it's a, it's a mindset as much as energy. That's part of that. It's interconnected, which is what makes you successful um, at whatever you're trying to achieve. And I still have that tug, even though I think my circadian light is very, very tight. Um, what I would say to you is you, um, the more you tighten your circadian rhythm, the better you'll feel. Part of the other thing, and I say this with love, I'm 52, is we're getting older. So we're not going to have as much juice in the afternoon, especially if we're running mentally hard, because it's going to take up a lot of our energy from 8 to 11 doing podcasts, running a business, and trying to create a movement. So that also will take a lot of energy out um, Well, you well, know, Darren, of, of us also. This sure. is the side of things as well. Just have to say something on that. Um, is that you know, in the afternoons, uh, you know, if we're feeling tired, then one of the things that we we're actually our body's indicating to us is potentially, especially early on, is that we need to rest a bit more. So if you don't have enough energy in the afternoons to you know allow that muscle fiber function to work properly and that grip strength and that uh, endurance to work best. Um, it may be a message for a period of time to actually uh, show that you have sleep dysfunction. And so, you know, for people going, well, I, I'm still tired in the afternoons, um, you know, get your circadian rhythm right, just like Mike said, and you'll actually find that energetic, um, you know, boost in the afternoon, but it will plateau. And that's when the mindset needs to come in at the same time. So, um, yeah, it's just important to, to make sure that, you know, you're listening to your body at some level um, so that it does you know, it, it is providing us wisdom all the time. It provides us pain as an incredible messenger to tell us to go in a different direction. Um, and it provides us with, with insight into our bioenergetics to say, via leptin, um, to say, hey, actually, um, maybe I'm not ready for an intense workout. And look, if you want to do a workout, and this is for the non-athletes out there, if you want to just have healthy mitochondria for the rest of your life, all you need to do is an eight to 11 minute 
hit training workout in the afternoon. You do that three to four times a week, plus just gentle movement in the morning and throughout the day. That'll keep your mitochondria healthy for the rest of your life. And this may be a bit controversial um, and you can edit it out if you want to, but uh, athletes, um, you know, with an athletic body, with a ripped six pack, with, you know, biceps as big as people's legs, um, these guys don't necessarily get to the hundred year mark. Um, and it's because our body does not store our mitochondrial density in our muscle tissue. It stores it in our heart and our brain. So if you want an animal that stores it in the muscle tissue, look at gorillas. The stronger the gorilla, the bigger the muscles, the longer it will live. Whereas humans, the more healthy our brain and our heart are, the longer you will live. So you don't want to hypertrophy uh, you know, your muscles on a really regular occasion if your goal is, like David Sinclair says, longevity. So just being mindful of, of, of that and, you know, the super centenarian studies of the, the groups that are in the Okinawans in, in Japan or the, you know, the old Jewish communities up north of New York, you know, these guys and girls are all between 25 and 35% body fat. So they're the ones that are optimized to live a long time because their body is in a, a preservation mode. So, you know, everyone's goal is different. If it's performance, it's one thing. If it's longevity, it's another. If it's mitochondrial health and you can have it all. So you decide. No, well, we're not editing that out. That's 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 wisdom right there that you're dropping for sure. How do you how do you guys think that this can help people um, holistically move into their their flow state and and also make good decisions financially? Well, I I think that once again. And I, and I try to simplify it. And one of the things I didn't touch on, we, we talk about food, the simplification of the food mes message that everybody can, I think, resonate with about eating locally, right? It's not a, it's not a fad. It's understanding, once again, what we're bio biologically built to eat. Sleeping, right? Sleeping is important. How, how we optimize that sleep will obviously allow you to be, uh, have mental acuity, um, how does that cascade? Well, if you simplify your life and you sleep better, you're probably going to save hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. Um, and you can t speak better to this about how much that saves people in supplements that people are buying that they feel like they need because somebody told them that if you do uh, have vitamin C or you have mag eat magnesium, you know, take magnesium. And I can go down the list of supplements that people buy every month because they're being marketed to from an un unregulated industry. Um, and or because they're not feeling well and someone told them they did this and it worked for them in their context. So uh, the cascading effects, uh, you know, of, of sleep, of eating, of not having to buy supplements, not having to feel like you need to work out a certain way um, in order to move the needle, live healthy, feel great. It's as, it's as, for us, once again, we live it every day, but it's as simple as dealing with your light hygiene at night, eating what's local before the sun goes down, sleeping, getting up in the morning and walking outside. I mean, I, I talk to people obviously all the time about this and I go, give me a reason to be inside. Just give me a reason why you don't want to, if you don't want to sit directly in the sun, sit in the shade. You're still getting that circadian clock and that SEN throughout the day. You know, one of the things that Nate didn't mention is, you know, you talk about melatonin. Melatonin's built during the day and released in the dark. You need to have natural light to build melatonin in the skin for it to release. 
So all the things, people are popping melatonin. These are all things, once again, that Mother Nature has accounted for that you don't have to think about. So let's live like it's 1980, live like it's 1970, live like it's 1990. And people always say, oh, I love that time where I actually was interacting with my neighbors, understood my community, unplug from my technology a little bit. I'm not telling you you need to do it all the time. There's a lot of utilization for technology. You can do that in a way which we can talk about in a future podcast about how to deal with you know, 5G and 4G and live like we are right now. I have earbuds in, I'm hardwired in on my computer. I have no Wi-Fi in my house because everybody's hardwired into their computer. My screen, the reason I'm not wearing my blue blockers is because we have our screens basically on red. So um, I'm not seeing any blue light and I have the natural light coming in through the window with the window open. So I have that full spectrum light without um, any light being uh, being altered from the windows. Right. And so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say with um, with accessing the flow states, you know, it, it's all including um, those those protocols and those things that Mike just mentioned. But one of the key ways to ensure that you're entering a flow state and, you know, some people flow states are still mystical. Uh, they kind of just pop up and it's like, oh, where did that time go? I was doing something I loved. Um, and it's an alignment of your um, your dopamine and your quantum resonance inside the body. So basically what that means is when your water networks are coherent because you've had exposure to full spectrum light during the day and you've had a really good night's sleep the next day you're setting yourself up so that you can get into those flow states easily so you can do mindset training you can do all the extra training to get access into those you know primers and other things to get into the flow states all we're here to say is that it's going to be very challenging to access those spaces if you don't have coherence in your system and a good circadian rhythm and a really good night's sleep I mean, most people will realize they have a bad night's sleep the next day. They're not going to play as well. They're not going to think as well. They're going to have more arguments in the evening. They're going to have more discussions with their children that are harder to have Then they won't cope with them. The mental challenges will be there. So these are all, a, you know, a proxy for your, your endocrine system, um, including dopamine, melatonin, serotonin, testosterone, progesterone. These are all need to be in a sync in balance. Uh, inside your system um, and they only are when you live with nature and you get a good night's sleep yeah i mean the neuro then and this is something we didn't really touch on yet but which i do think is important is you know from a science perspective the neurotransmitters uh, need to be built they're built with natural light and so why is that super important because i think everybody mothers and teenagers out there and i have six kids i have three girls three boys and i i've gotten a little taste of what college kids look like today. I have a, a good idea what high school kids look like today. And there's an epidemic of anxiety and depression, um, opioid addiction, everybody knows about. And, you know, part of the environmental stuff that we're talking about, blue light will kill the dopamine receptors. And if and if we can't, the only thing that's going to heal that and build that, which is really what we're passionate about is getting people out either in natural light or teaching them how to use red and infrared light to heal the damage that they're doing and figure out how to protect them. Because once again, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's a biological certainty that mental health, just like diabetes, is a runaway train. There's nothing they can do to stop it. And, and, and I don't know how close you are to suicides in the country. Um, uh, last I had a call with folks in Washington was, I think, last um, last April, and it was over 122 a day. And they're looking for creative solutions to figure out to actually how to deal with it. And the way we're talking about dealing with it is you got to heal the mitochondria, which is 
the most in the brain and the heart. And so if we can work with folks and the folks that we're talking about working with the proper um, technology to measure what's happening in the eye and healing the eye and the photoreceptors in the eye, we can then heal the brain, build the proper neurotransmitters, which I think is ultimately long-term, the game changer. If we can get people to understand, and, and the worst part about it is the kids' brains are still developing, so they're getting pulsed with 5G, but their retina and their eye is still developing, right? Um, and you're basically hitting it. I'll give you, a, once again, an extreme example. If someone's sitting in uh, New York in the winter and they're looking at a blue light device, the power of that blue light is summer blue light. So you're giving it not only fake uh, a fake frequency with a power density that is summer blue light in the winter. So you're sending that powerful signal to the brain, but you're also thinning the retina. You know, Nate, is there anything you want to add to that? Well, anytime you change the organizational structure of the eye, you change everything that happens underneath it. So, um, you know, macular degeneration and myopia, you know, misshaped globes of the eye, uh, cataracts, um, uh, retinal uh, tears, um, retinal detachments. Um, these are all classic things that will, um, you know, will be eventually the case if uh, that, that situation goes on long enough. And the, the myelin that's used to encase all of the neurons and the nerve tissue, um, it's still growing and it doesn't fully mature until uh, the kids are around 25 to 27. In fact, it's even happening later now because of the amount of blue light that kids are receiving early on, including you know, early onset puberty and just all the, all the hormonal issues. So kids do not have these myelin, these, these little protection uh, uh, sort of barriers between their nerve tissue and the signals that are firing in their body. So they get an artificial frequency coming in and it disrupts that neural connection um, you know, throughout the system and there's behavioral difficulties. Well, you know, John Ott proved that in the sixties with cathode ray tube TVs and fluorescent globes back in the sixties. Um, you know, these behavioral conditions when autism came in the literature in 1941, uh, you know, most Neolithic diseases since 1893. And when was the light bulb invented? 1889, uh, the electric power grid, um, you know, has, has kicked off and all of these are documented and I encourage anyone who's interested in this side of things to read the Richard, uh, the Arthur Furstenberg uh, book, uh, The Invisible Rainbow. He has over, I think it's 800 references that talk about disease and epidemics, including influenza and other epidemics that occur as the electrification of the planet increases over the decades. So behavioral issues are what most people and most parents and families are dealing with now, which are affecting financial choices. So, you know, these are all linked. Yeah, it's it's crippling to me. And that's that's the reason why I wanted to bring it up, because, you know, as we're having the conversation, you know, these are triggers for me about what I'm passionate about. Right. I talk to your daughter and I talk to you about, you know, infertility and how it's exploded. You know, it, it's exploded. It's a, the worst it's been in 30 years. It will continue to get worse once again for all the reasons we're talking about with the kids coming up in this environment, how that whether it's the food supply, whether it's the light in the eyes, whether it's 5G. All, all it's interrelated, but, you know, for me, you know, I don't want to hear the day that, you know, your daughter's 30 years old, she's been in a pool inside for 20 years. Um, and you say, well, she's an athlete, she eats okay, how could how could this be? Uh, because of all the reasons we discussed today. But more importantly, there's nothing worse if you have a kid to know that they're inside their own head, they have anxiety, they have depression, and you know, you want to give them a mind altering drug and 
almost all the folks that are prescribing those drugs, once again, going back to my friend, the biochemist, the first thing he showed me in that meeting was, um, you know, Prozac and, and all the drugs that are given for neurotransmitters. And he was teaching college kids in class and explaining to them how if you don't test the neurotransmitters, which psychologists aren't testing the neurotransmitters, and most doctors don't understand them and understand the biochemistry, let me show you how this could be, you know, a horrible cataclysmic event and why people sometimes kill themselves when they take these pills because they don't understand the sequencing of the neurotransmitters they don't understand what causes the backlog in the neurotransmitters and so uh, for me the passion is figuring out a how to continue to tell this story but get it to the mothers get it to the children and explain to them it's more significant in their environment in utero and all the way until they're more mature so that they can they can develop and hopefully have healthy brains. Otherwise, as I said, what you're seeing now is a, between diabetes, mental health. These are all issues that are tied to the things we discussed today um, that people, quite frankly, don't know how to deal with. I mean, you, whether it's therapy, whether it's psychology, psychiatrists, um, medications, um, like I said, unfortunately, suicides continue to go up universally. Um, and and that's obviously terrible, but when we get back, when we try and tie it into the finan financial, it's crippling for a family. You can't leave the kid, right? They can't have a two income home. And I, I think the number was uh, $64,000, $64, um, 80% of the country makes. And so, um, you know, it's very difficult to have a one income home if we look at reality. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, from a passion perspective, that's the ultimate goal for us. Cause if we can, like with my kids, I mean, if you're around my kids and Nate's been around my kids for a couple of weeks, I mean, they sprint out of the bed happy. They bounce off the walls like we do without sugar. They eat amazing foods. They're outside all the time. There is no Wi-Fi in the house. They don't ever see a fake screen. There is no blue light in this house. We light up the house with, you know, red and infrared and, you know, no blue light bulbs. Um, and we're lucky enough to do that and have the wisdom that I've gotten over the last 10 or 15 years. And my older kids would tell you that they see the difference. But the reason I bring them up is because there's they're smiling, they're happy, they're rambunctious. And, you know, uh, they just have boundless energy. And so for me, that's my passion. And I have neighbors that I talk to and that we're close with that we try and help with. But you can see a lot of the kids are anesthetized when you go to the school, the elementary school um, and or stunted um in their ability to focus and or learn and we know where that ends up six or seven years from now if they're sitting on the devices inside all day and athletics yeah. are de and even athletics have decreased significantly there's been articles over the last couple of months about how how what a big drop in athletics there are and i think once again that ties to the financial aspect of people not having the freedom to take their kids around which is a there's huge no, challenge there's no question all of the wisdom that you guys have been sharing with with us has is so important and so sobering. And you had asked if um, if I have had any experience with you know anxiety or depression or suicide. Yeah, that that's touched our family as I would think today in today's day and age it's touched uh, most families sadly. Right. And um, you know one of one of the one of the scientific facts is that we just normally without everything that you're bringing into the picture, we, or maybe it's part of the statistic that we lose um, our mental acuity. I forget what the percentage is, but every year that goes by, we lose a little bit every year. 
And so we're already fighting up an uphill battle to stay sharp, to continue to make good decisions. And so you're providing advice, tools, information for all of us listening to, to really improve that if we choose to. And uh, I've already made some notes on top of what you've already coached me up on. Sadly, we just redid all the lights in the house with LED. So I don't know how the hell I'm going to figure that one out. But, you know, you know, turning them off, uh, implementing red light where I can. Um, I've, I've been thinking about the hardwire aspect. I got to get get that figured out even more. But, I'm supposed uh, to come. I'm supposed to come out to Arizona in August, maybe for a couple of weeks with the family. I'm going to go up to Flagstaff. I'll come to the house and I'll help you. Perfect. Cool. That'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be great to see you again. Um, well, I, I can't thank you guys enough. And truly, this is really something that everybody needs to listen to. There's so much information. So much of it is easy to implement and doesn't cost anything. And uh, the impact is obviously so important on not just us, our children, people in our community, and then the financial impact, of course. And um, And I think there's no doubt in my mind that implementing these things can put you in a state to continue to make even better decisions uh, about everything, certainly about your finances. So this is really relevant information and, and really valuable. Can't thank you both enough for your time. Yeah, you're welcome, yeah. Darren. I mean, it was it's an absolute pleasure. And I guess the last thought I'll, I'll leave you with on my end is, um, you know, whether it's cancer or mental illness or diabetes or any of the things we've covered today, suicide, anything like that, um, it's the problem is not within you. It's within your environment. So take a look at your environment, your choices you're making, and see how you can make one change each day. Small changes um, with important things make massive differences. So you're not to blame. It's not your fault. It's the choices that you've made and the environment around you. So start choosing better. Well said. Where can people get more information on uh, you, your company, Blue Free Optical? Um, do you guys have any social media? Do you have a website? So, do you have anything so that, that you can share? Yeah. So, you know, once again, this was an idea, a passion project four or five years ago. And what's happened over the last couple of years is it's, it's evolving to a much bigger movement. And so we're in the process right now of, um, we started Blue Free Optical, obviously with the eye, but we were doing this with partnerships and, and giving the lenses out and partnering with lens, you know, different people in the, the sleep space and folks in the eyewear space. And now we're at a point where we're developing uh, a much more general website that will be able to talk more general about the information we discussed today, more general about, you know, the movement we're discussing and all different aspects, what kind of um, concepts, ideas, products you can use to mitigate if you still need to run hard and there's no way to break free from, you know, the financial challenges you have today. Um, and so, you know, at this point, if folks want to reach out to us and talk to us, I was, and it's interesting you bring that up, you know, my passion is doing what we're doing today. As you see, as I, you know, walk behind you on the mountain and started to talk to you about it and just introduce myself. Um, that's the magic at my age. I've, that's what I feel um, best doing is having these conversations. So what, what Nate and I are going to be doing over the next um, six to 12 months 
is working with a lot of different partners to actually put together some really strong metrics with high visibility and non-high visibility folks, control and non-control groups, so that um, we can continue to further the conversation. And what we, we're hoping with talking to you, and this wasn't my intent because I didn't know you had a podcast, is to uh, develop close relationships, work through the journey with people, continue to build the journey with a community like we've done in the quantum space for many years, and then uh, see where that takes us to hopefully touch on each one of the paradigms. So a lot of the folks we've talked to have a lot of connections in the military space, have a lot of connections in the healthcare space, in the athletic space, and all of that sounds nice to me. Until, but the ultimate goal is how do we get it to the masses? How do we have these conversations? As you said, one of the things that you know I think you asked me earlier in the conversation is I don't know the answer to the question yet. Is but figuring out the why a lot of the folks in these areas that basically uh, need this information the most don't have the information. And so my goal is to figure out how do we get there? How do we how do we permeate to a place where we can get partners in all different sectors, whether it's the military, whether it's the healthcare space that will work with us to take subsets of the population and show the different outcomes. And to your point, we're not asking them to spend a lot of money. We're not asking them to buy a machine. We're not trying to sell them a product. You know, so for us, it's just getting the getting the right audience. And at this point, having the conversation today, hopefully we'll have more conversations like that. So you have our information. If people want to talk to us and, and talk about how to work together, that's great. If they want to buy glasses, that's terrific. You know where to send them. Um, but more importantly, our information's there. And as you know, with you, you know, I'm I'm happy to, and I know Nate's happy to engage as much as possible at a higher level so we can continue to figure out how to disseminate information. We've been working, one last thing I'll leave you with, we've been working on a lot of the stuff you talked about, how to distill it down to uh, the, the layperson where we are explaining why cold and how that works and affects the mitochondria long-term and tell it in a way or how light hitting the eye in a way that people can understand because there's going to be 30 or 40 questions that everybody's going to ask so we've been working on a lot of content over the last four five six seven months knowing that we're going to probably be public facing and have to switch to a more direct to consumer engagement model so we've been putting those pieces into place and so that's really where we're at right now not built haven't decided on what the company name will be going forward right because blue free optical is really one small piece as we've talked about today of the puzzle sure. And mm -hmm. so we're going to try and encapsulate a lot of information. And so that's really what we've been focusing on as a team um, as we put together uh, this mission, if you will. Well, I mean, a, a few things. Uh, number one, hopefully you guys will come back and talk more about your mission and what you're doing, because it's just fascinating. It's so helpful to everybody. Uh, number two, there, you know, I also have a, a personal interest. My son, I don't think I shared this with you, or maybe I did, but he's joining the Navy. He ships off to boot camp next week. So I've always already have friends and and the uh, military service family and friends and a lot of friends in the uh, that are seal active seals and and uh, former seals. We talked a little bit about that, and I uh, I can't wait to share this information with them because of uh, you know the anxiety, depression, suicide, and um, PTSD issues, a lot of which some of the other podcasts that we've had were addressing that some of those those types of issues and how to work with those those types well, what of things. We're talking, and what we're talking about 
And Nate, I don't know if you read the article recently or it was the information from one of our friends that just, it was in the last week, they did a post about the incidence of disease in the military. Nate, did you read that post? Um, just the introduction, but no, not okay, the post. that's fine. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great piece of information. We should, we'll grab that and send that to you. I, I really want you to right. read that information because all the stuff that we're talking about today is um, exponentially worse in the military because of their environment because of, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what we could do is we could actually that we can have that link available for people as well as the, uh, the protocol that you have on light and yep. uh the other piece that you sent me so i have all three of those i can i can make those available for people to download okay yeah i'd like to give you the some of the 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 new updated statistics and the reasons why um right. so we can do that and then yeah that would be really like i said really cool if we can engage those folks and see because one of the things i've seen um we work uh the fairways for warriors here for the combat veterans here and one of the things I see, which is heartbreaking to me, but I don't have I don't have a captured audience here, is a lot of these guys wear sunglasses because of the PTSD and they're super sensitive to light. So they can't heal their mitochondria or they don't know how to start to heal their mitochondria because we can't put them on a light regimen where we slowly wean them off and heal the mitochondria before they don't become sensitive. So it's it's like this self-fulfilling problem that we have um, with the military to figure out actually how to heal the PTSD, which is what we really want to do. We want to heal uh, the damage that's that's in the mitochondria in the brain. And we can do that. And we know we can do that if we can get them into a clean environment, a great light environment, use some um, techniques that we can use to accelerate the process. And that's really, once again, where the magic happens. If we can get a control group of people that um, are willing to go through some of the protocols that we, if we can start to show these guys how to wean off, you know, all of a sudden, we're dealing, we're, we're healing the mitochondria, allowing the light in, allowing their neurotransmitters to heal. We can get them off the meds, right? The sequencing of meds that, you know, happens to these poor combat, at least from the people, my personal experience that they tell me they start with one and end up with 10 and they feel horrible and they just have no escape. So um, once again, that's the magic. That's what's in our heart. Well, thank you both again, Mike, Nathan, really awesome, awesome information. Appreciate all the time. I'll probably have to break this into two episodes because there's so much great information that you were kind enough to share with everybody today. And uh, thank you all also for tuning in to Finding Your Financial Flow. Hopefully this helped to inspire and inform you to come up with tools to move closer into your own personal financial flow, continue to make great decisions, be on purpose and live a great life and really be happy. So thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, appreciate it. Bye-bye. This was the Financial Flow Podcast with me, Darren Wright. Thank you for listening. And I hope that today you were inspired and informed to move even more into your peak financial flow for success.